We have a lot to do today, a lot to cover, so I want to jump in. Man, this is good. Good conversation. We'll turn this up. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. We are really, really glad uh, to see you all this morning on this Labor Day weekend. Um, the, uh, the slide flicker thing, it just popped in my head, so I'm going to share it so it's not on my mind. Um, those of you who are the office, office, office fans, the show, uh, there's, a, there's an episode on there where Michael likes a certain individual, and he is, um, he is uh, putting in subliminal messages in a PowerPoint slideshow. And so those of you who follow the show, you probably remember that, but I just had to get it out there because I want to be thinking about it, and it was really, really funny. So, um, yeah, I'll let that s- said if you need to think back to that. But um, like this slide says, uh, we are going to continue on in our series, walking through uh, John 17. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, go there. Um, if you don't have a Bible, please, there's, there should be one under your seat. Take one of those. Use that. Take it home with you. I think every person should have a Bible at home. So that's our gift to you. Um, the, the words will be up on the screen once I get started reading. Um, here's what I want to do to set this up, because this is really, as we read this, I think it's important to know a little bit of the context before we just jump in. Um, this is a prayer, and Jesus is talking to God. Okay? He's, he's, he's not talking to us directly. He's talking to God in the presence of his disciples. So as you listen to me read it and you follow along, imagine yourself. That this is not coming to us directly. It is because it's in his word now. But in the setting that it was first prayed in, he was talking to God, and his disciples were just listening just standing around listening to Jesus talk to God the Father. So that is is the context. Let's start in verse 1. We're starting verse 1. We covered it last week, but start there for context. We'll go through verse 20. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom all you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in, know in truth that I, have, that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, and I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we jump into this prayer, um, arguably the uh, most important prayer in all of the Bible, I pray that you would open our minds and opens our, open our hearts and remove the distractions that we may have brought in here, that we would see this as your words that we're talking through today, and they have authority over our lives. So I pray we would put ourselves under your word this morning and be open to the Spirit changing us, changing our minds, changing our hearts, changing the way we live when we leave this place. That's our prayer, Lord. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. We have all been given a purpose in this world. All of us. Not, I'm talking to all of us in this room, non-believers included. We have all been given a purpose in this world. We have been made in God's image and have been given a role to play in this world. And we find this purpose laid out in Genesis 1.28. It says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God entrusts to humanity his creation. And he gives it to us to rule and reign over. And he wants, what he's doing here is he wants us to extend his kingdom to all corners of the earth. The Garden of Eden, he wants us to push that to the fringes of the earth. And a little side note here, those of you who aren't followers of Jesus, before you check me out here, check out here, um, I, would, I would say that if there's any part of you, even that 1% of you that says, um, I, I want to make this world a better place. I want to leave this world a better place than I found it. I, I, I think that is from God. That is hardwired into you. It's how we were created, and that's part of the purpose which God gives us in Genesis 1. This desire in humanity, I think that we all have, to make the world a better place. Even if it's just a small part of us, I think it comes from God creating us here. But we all, most of us know that a wrench was thrown in this plan when humanity decides to rebel, takes the role that we've been given, and turns that on ourselves and we want to become God. We want to become like God. We want to determine what is good and evil rather than listening to God and trusting that he knows what is good and evil. We want to take and determine what is good and evil for us and our own good. That happened in Genesis 3, and that is the case of humanity today for the most part. But God's plan to extend his kingdom has not changed. To our vantage point, it seems like maybe he had to, to change courses here, but God was not surprised by Genesis 3. And last week, Blake walked through the first five verses of this prayer, one through five, where Jesus basically acknowledges in this prayer that God has sent him and that Jesus has accomplished everything that God wanted him to do. And primarily that's summed up in glorifying God. And the primary way that Jesus glorified God is to live a life, a perfect life that no human being could live and die a death that all humans deserve to die based off of sin and then rose from the dead three days later. And this is what Jesus, the primary thing Jesus came to do in this world. 
to provide a way for sinners like all of us in this room to be reconciled to God. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This brings eternal life for those who believe. But the gospel is so much more than just fire insurance and, and your entrance into eternity. It is that, but it is so much more. The, God's plan is bigger than that. Ephesians 1.10, Paul, a leader in the early church, says this, as, I plan, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And Christ's followers' role, Paul's saying here, is to extend the world. There's a greater purpose than here, to unite all things under God. Yes, individual humans, but he wants to see all of creation redeemed. That's God's plan. And we go into partnership with him to see this plan accomplished. And that's where we're going to land at the end of our time today. We're going to land in the place that we're going to look at what our mission is, what we're here to do. And it's a giant task that God gives us, that Jesus sends us out to do. And it will crush us There's no way we can fulfill it without understanding the relationship that we have, if you are in Christ, that we have with God and Jesus. And before we get there in John 17, God and Jesus is going to talk to God about our relationship with him. Now to set up a little bit of background before we just jump in, chapter 17 is a part of a bigger chunk of the book of John. Starting in chapter about 14, Jesus begins to... um, prepare his followers in in a little deeper way, a more intense way. They begin to walk towards Jerusalem. And you can just tell by reading it that Jesus is starting to prepare them. He's getting them ready. And even at the, the first verse of chapter 14, he starts this section of scripture by saying, let your hearts not be troubled. Do not be troubled. And Jesus is preparing them for what's about to happen. These guys have no idea what's going on. Maybe a little bit, but they have no idea the fullness of what is about to happen to Jesus. And maybe you're in here and this is what you need to hear this morning. Do not be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your minds be troubled. You're struggling. You suffer from anxiety or fear. This world that we live in, it's just berating us all the time with things to be anxious about. Just this week, um, there, was a, there was a fairly well-known pastor, 30 years old, you may have heard, um, committed suicide in California, left wife, I believe three small children behind. Um, that hit home for me just because of my calling. And a couple of days ago, a pastor, used to be a pastor in this area, um, Died in a car accident. Left wife, leave three kids behind. So even just this week, as I'm just, just browsing Facebook and those kinds of things, I, I'm, I'm seeing this, this stuff happen, and I get anxious. My, my heart becomes troubled. I, I lose a little bit of hope for the moment, and I think this is what Jesus is preparing his disciples to face. He knows where they're at, so we should listen. We're starting in John 14, all the way through the end of 17, Jesus has something to say. And for our time today, we're focusing on 17. So the question I think to ask this morning is why does Jesus pray here? Yes, it's the last prayer in the scripture. There, there's a sense of, it's the, it's the night before he would go to the cross. 
there's clarity, there's urgency here, but why pray? Like, why not just turn to the disciples who are standing right there and tell them what you want them to know? Why didn't he do it? He chose to, with the disciples right there, kind of stop and begin talking to God the Father. Why does he do that? Well, he wants them to see what's going on. He wants them to get this peek behind the curtain of really heaven, of two parts of the Trinity here talking to each other. God the Father who speaks and things happen. The creator of everything and Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying to God, talking to him. And his disciples are sitting around listening to everything he is saying. I think there's a big why behind Jesus deciding to do it this way. And we should see that. We should understand that we're kind of sitting here and observing Jesus praying here. And what's interesting, because these things aren't said directly to us, there, there's no commands, there's no imperatives, there's, there's nothing that Jesus is asking us to do in this passage directly. Because he's asking God to do it. Which means that these things are as good as done. Jesus is petitioning to the Father, asking of the Father to accomplish these things. And we know that Jesus and God have the same mind. They, they're, they're, they're linked up. These things are going to happen. So it's, these things aren't dependent upon us. Everything we're about to read, they aren't dependent upon us. They're done, or they're as good as done. And that should bring us confidence, a deeper level of confidence, I believe, than just hearing um, a directive for Jesus, from Jesus or something that he wants us to do. These are promises, and they're done. He covers a lot of this passage, but I just want to look at two things. Simplify this. There's a lot we could go, a lot of tangents we could go, but two things. The first part of what we're going to look at today is Jesus' relationship with God and how he brings us into that in this prayer. And the second thing we're going to look at is the mission that he sent us out to do. Like I said before, we have to walk through this first part before we can even hope to understand and fulfill the second part. This looks like a, let's look at verse 6, 6 through 8 here. He says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you, that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Okay, so Jesus is saying here, I've revealed you to my followers, my disciples. And he said, how does he, how does he reveal himself? Well, through, through words. He says, I've given him your words. And this is the same way that God reveals himself to us. God has revealed himself to us primarily through this, his word. We're not like the disciples. We, couldn't, we didn't get to see Jesus in the flesh. We didn't get to see Jesus revealed in that way. But the way we um, understand who God is, the way God reveals himself to us today is primarily through his word. I think it's important that, 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 that things start here in this prayer. They know your word. I've given them your word. We're walking through God's word as we speak to understand more about him which we know in the context of a relationship is everything. Spending time, understanding, one person revealing themselves to another person, getting to know each other. Those are all things found in the context of relationship, and God's word does that for us. 
Now, the second thing having to do with relationship is this, this, really this language of possession. That like, we are God's possession. We are his people. Listen back to verse 6 again. It says, I have manifested or just made known. I have made known your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me. We know in Ephesians, Paul says, before, like, for the foundation of the world, God chose us in him. Okay, so God had, had knows who his people are before the foundation of the world, and he has given these people to Jesus to look after, to take care of. And you can almost feel Jesus praying here in, in humility and in, 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 in a sense of honor to say, these people whom you loved, whom you adore, whom you are father of, you've given them to me, and I have manifested you to them. And then we look ahead at verse 9, the same kind of idea of possession. I'm praying for them, and I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. An interesting note here, we'll pick it up later on, but um, he says, I am not praying for the world. It's kind of interesting. I, I kind of saw that this week. He specifically says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for my disciples. Now, does this mean that Jesus doesn't care about the world? Does this mean he doesn't love the world? No, but it does mean something. It means that the, the primary way that he's going to reveal himself to the world is through these disciples, through these followers. So he prays for them, trusting that they are going to do the work to reveal God and his glory to all of creation. And so, again, this is just mind-blowing that he is entrusting this the God's glory to these disciples. He has a strategy, and we're going to talk about that strategy a little bit later. He has a strategy for reaching the world. In verse 10, once again, here, possession language. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Okay? The glory of Jesus, the fullness of who Jesus is, is not a floating around idea. I think sometimes we think that maybe God's glory is this, this thing that floats around and sometimes it just, bam, it shows up. And No, it's saying here that the glory is contained inside of the followers of Jesus. When we are united to him in faith, we have that glory inside of us. This is why it's so important to, to, live, the, to live a life that's honoring to God. Because we show the world who God is like by how we live. God's glory is inside of us, which is, once again, just, if you just stop and just meditate on that, it's mind-blowing. Everything of who God is and, and, and what he has done and the news he wants to communicate to the world is found in us through being united to Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Verse 11, let's keep walking through this. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Listen to it. I love this. Holy Father. Say righteous daddy. Perfect daddy. And this is like, this language is very honoring. Jesus is talking to his father. Saying he's holy. He's otherworldly. Nothing compares to him. But yet he's his father who loves him. They're in relationship. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept your, sorry, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, 
and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that scripture might be fulfilled. So once again, Jesus, he, he acknowledges that God has given him his people to steward, to look over, to protect. And again, imagine yourself listening to this. You're nervous, you're scared, and Jesus and God are praying and there's just this conversation happening. The confidence that we should have to realize that God has given us to Jesus and Jesus is our protector. He's the one watching over us. He's the one that is not going to let anything happen to his people. So what would have been happening in the disciples' minds here? This imagery kind of... Um, kind of gets into the shepherding language in John 10, a few chapters back in the book. Jesus says this. You hear echoes of John 17 in here. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. He repeats it. He wants us to understand it. And I and the father are one. Paul in Romans 8, 38-39, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And I think that you get a really good picture, I think, of what G, how Jesus feels towards People he loves in Matthew 9, 36 through 38. Actually, just go 36. When we saw, when he saw the crowds, Jesus, he had compassion for them. Compassion. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And if you're like me, even though I'm in Christ and I know Jesus, sometimes I feel like a sheep without a shepherd, just from my own experience. I feel harassed by the world. A lot of things in the world that steal my joy, make me feel anxious, make me fear. And Jesus is, is looking out at the crowds, maybe similar number that we have here today. He has compassion on them because he loves them. God has given his people to Jesus to protect and to love. This is so important. This is verse 13. This is, I think, the pivot point of the chapter. He says, but now I am coming to you and these things, that's important, these things I speak in the world that they may have joy, have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So what are these things? This is important because he's saying I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world. And these things really are everything that he shared so far for sure in chapter 17, maybe in the whole book of John and in his ministry. He's saying, these things, that's what I've spoken in the world, that they, his disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So he's not saying your joy. He doesn't tell us our joy it is. It's not some joy we muster up. It's his joy. For the first, I think I noticed that for the first time this week. It's like he has put this joy in us when we are united to him. Okay? that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So everything he's saying, everything we're looking at today, the reason for it is so that his disciples may have joy. He doesn't say peace, which that's obviously included. He doesn't say 
love, but that's included. But over all the things he could have mentioned here, he singles out joy. He says that my joy may be in them. And before we go to mission, which we're going to next, this is the time where we need to ask ourselves some questions. And I want you to ask yourselves these questions as I walk through them. These are foundational. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that nothing, nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hand? It's a promise that the scripture said. Do you believe that nothing happens in this world or nothing that you can do can separate you from the love of God found in Christ Jesus? That's Romans 8. You just read it. Do you believe these things? Because if you don't, I pray that you would think about them, that you would meditate on them, that you would keep them in front of you. That, like this is the foundational thing, I think, to anything we talk about in the church. Do we, do we experience and do we know God's love for us? Turn your phone off a little bit more often and think about it. Turn the, shut the TV off a little bit more and think about it. Like, don't distract yourselves. Like, think about this because this will lead to joy, which is what we all want. It's what we all want. We want joy. If you struggle with not loving God as much as you should, you should probably stop thinking about that and think more about how much God loves you. If you're guilty about you not loving God as you should, stop thinking about that. Switch your focus to how much God loves you and it will probably change the former. Probably cause you to love God more if you focus on the amount that God loves you. This will stoke the fires of our affection and love for God. And this is the gospel. So we talk about the gospel so much. The gospel, yes, has past benefits and it has future benefits, but it has benefits right now where you sit. And when we leave here today, this is the gospel and it should change us and should give us joy. And everything the Bible asks us to do, any command, any law, anything it causes us, that the Bible's asking us to do assumes that we have joy in Jesus, assumes that we experience God's love for us. Everything we're about at Providence Road, everything we want to do and see God do in this church comes back to we assume and pray and hope that people are finding joy. People are finding freedom so that then they can do what we want to do and what we have vision for, what God wants you to do in the scriptures. Now, mission. This is kind of getting towards application here. So what? Why are we doing this? What's the mission? Well, let's quickly run through the rest of the passage. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Talked about that a little bit last week. I don't want to go into it necessarily, just the hatred of the world. But just a caveat here, like um, this means, this doesn't give you the license to be a jerk, right? Like we're hated because we're standing on the truth and the gospel. If you're being a jerk and not like loving people, then this is not what that's talking about, okay? But if you stand for the truth, if you stand for the gospel and live that, you will be hated. Reminding us again, verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, that you keep them from the evil one. Once again, praying protection over us here. Verse 16, 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in, your, in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification just means set apart for a purpose. In this context, we are set apart for the purpose of being sent into the world. So that big sanctify word means in this context. Verse 18, they're being commissioned here. They're being sent out as, as, as we speak here. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word. So here's, again, this isn't a command. He's not telling us to go or to be sent in this passage. He's saying, you have been sent. It's a done deal. He's talking to God. They've been sent. So the disciples are hearing this like, Okay, I, I, I guess we've been sent. And so they're having to wrestle through what that means, and we should do that as well. And you notice in verse 20, he says, this is where he actually prays for the world, because he's saying, I don't only pray for them, but those that will believe in me based off of the words of those I send. Okay, so he is concerned about the world. Jesus does want the world to know him. However, it's through his disciples, Okay. So this is bizarre, I think, that Jesus would, again, back to verse 9, where he prays not for the world, but for his disciples. Why, when you are Jesus, logically this doesn't make sense. If I'm building a strategy to reach the world, I'm saying, Jesus, I think you got this. I don't think you should give any authority to any broken, messed up human beings. Like, just take care of this yourself. Knock it out. Knock out the world, like go do miracles, go profess, make still storms, all those things, get people to believe, and let's, let's go home to heaven. But obviously in God's plan, that's not the way he laid it out. Jesus spent most of his time in one small geographic location, most of his time with 12 people, not the masses, with, with the 12. So there's a reason why. It's because God is entrusting the mission to his followers, to his people. And that's us. That was them in this scenario. And I don't think if I'm from my vantage point, that's the, the more efficient strategy for Jesus to take care of it. But he wants us to come alongside of him. He wants us to experience the joy of actually being involved in seeing the world come to know him. He's our daddy and he wants us to take us to work to experience daddy's work in the context, right? Like they don't, you don't I don't take my three-year-old to work to, to, to get more done. I could probably do more without him there, but I want him to experience what I do. I want him to see what I do. God is doing the same thing for us. We are sent. This is part of our identity as Christ followers. Now, barriers. What trips us up here? Because this is hard. This is a hard command. Go make disciples of all nations. You're, go, go. You're sent out into the world. Preach the gospel. Bring God's glory to the world. Okay, like, I'm, 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 I don't forget you, but I don't, I'm not doing real well at that. So why not? Like, let's, let's talk about this, okay? Now, the one principle to pull out of this that to remember is that you are in the world, but not of the world. You may have heard that before. And that's, if you look at verses 15 through 19, that's really what that's saying. Now, if you look at that as kind of a grid, as, as, as a kind of a reflection on how am I doing, um, we're going to do that right now. And this is what I've been doing all week, so I'm going to bring you into my pain, and I'm going to meddle a little bit here, and I'm going to, I want to push us here. So, in the world, but not of the world. That's the principle, okay? So, some of us in here, I think, are in the world and of the world, okay? Some of you, I think, 
don't look different enough from the world. So the world's not asking the reason for the hope that you have. Because maybe you're not living different enough for the world. I'm not talking about doing things that are illegal or going to get us in trouble. I'm just talking about being content to blend, blend in with the good guys and the good girls, and I'm just going to be a good person and not kind of create waves. Like, that's, that's not, that's not, that's being of the world, okay? Um, other things, being, being more, more uh, care more about what other people think of you than what God thinks of you. How are you handling your things like your time, your money, your relationships, if God was looking at your life in those areas, would he be, if, if the world was looking at your life in those areas, would they think, they see something different? Would they see that otherworldness that Jesus is talking about here? Like what's your relationship with technology and entertainment? Do you use those things to just kind of numb yourself? Just it's a constant escape route so you don't have to deal with kind of the issues of the world and face the, the, the difficulties in the world? I think that's tend to kind of what the world does. Are you distracted? Do you speak up and act out on issues of brokenness, systematic injustice in the world? Here's the deal. If you're not a little weird to people, then you may not be different enough from the world. So just take inventory of your life. Are you a little weird as, it is, as mainstream goes? Because Christ followers, we should be. The scriptures call us, call us aliens. It's another word for us as Christ followers. Okay? That, and that's, that means that like, we're different. These people are weird and strange. Um, maybe we look too much like the world. Others of us act um, like we're not in or of the world. We just want to kind of be out of the world. And maybe you struggle with extending the love that you've been shown. Maybe you prefer to see yourself more in the, the kingdom of the Republicans or the kingdom of the Democrats and not the kingdom of Jesus. Maybe you don't know how to talk with others that don't agree with you and don't live how you live because you've ne maybe never made friends with somebody like that. I would encourage you to make friends with people who are different than you, to understand and be a good listener. Um, Maybe you think some people don't deserve to be served because of the choices they've made in life. If Jesus was grading me on my choices to save me or not, I would have failed. All of you would have done the same. So are we people who are in the world, but not of the world? And that's the guiding principle for us as we leave. Like asking the question, I mean, this is, this is standing for truth, standing on biblical ideas, standing up for the gospel, but doing it in a gentle, loving, respectful, listening, like everyone's created in the Imago Dei and everyone has value, dignity, and worth. Therefore, we listen. And when it's time to take a stand, we take a stand like Jesus did. There's also a time to lay our preferences down and to listen and to love. And I think there's, that's the tension point. Here's a quote, and then start to wrap up. Quote, and I think this is, this is really helpful because this is a big idea, but this, was, um, this is from a guy named uh, John Inazu. Listen to this. This kind of posture is what one of us has called confident pluralism. As Christians, we can engage with the pluralism around us because our confidence lies elsewhere. We can acknowledge genuine differences in society without suppressing or minimizing our firmly held convictions. We can seek common ground even with those who may not share a view of the common good. The audacity of Christian hope 
is that Jesus Christ came into the world and is reconciling all things to himself. He is both the subject and object of our confidence. And as, gener and as generations of saints who have gone, come before us have testified in word and deed, he is sufficient. It is with that hope and that confidence that we can engage the world in an anxious age. Okay? So we should move into this crazy world that we have no idea what's happening half the time with confidence because of Jesus, because of the love he has for us. Now, we want to equip you guys to do this. I know this is calling, I'm, I'm pushing, I'm encouraging here. But we want to come alongside of you and help you do this. I'm going to mention three ways, three practical ways. And these are just steps you can take, ways that we want to help you. Get in a missional community. I know we talk about this a lot, but this is, this is really where we can process this stuff and admit, hey, I'm not doing a good job of this. I am struggling. I don't know how to share my faith. I don't really love those people enough to, to, to share with them. Okay, all of those things can be brought up in a missional community. Ask for help. How do I actually share my faith? How do I be friends with somebody who's different than me? These are all things to process as a community of people trying to make disciples. And this should be a, a large part of our conversations because this is, this is hard. This is difficult. Um, Ask, you can ask for help in these things. So get in a missional community to have just the support and be able to process these things with other people. And number two, if you just need help talking about Jesus and maybe making friends with those who are different than you, um, that's hard. And if you just want some resources, if you just want a, maybe a book to read or an article to read, like come and find me, come and ask a leader, and maybe we can help you just with resources and uh, maybe give you some things to read um, to do that um, maybe on your own. And the last thing I want to mention um, and this is something we're really excited about, something new, is something called the 405 Center, okay? This is something that, if you're a member, you should know about this. Um, we mentioned it at the membership meeting a couple weeks ago, but Prov Road is linking arms with a nonprofit called, called the 405 Center. It was, started out, uh, it was started out of a church called Frontline that we're, we do a lot with, we're really good friends with in Oklahoma City. And this nonprofit has basically taken the, legal, the, the logistical hurdles out of the way for the church to be able to engage the community. So they vet nonprofits, they check out nonprofits, they go to the nonprofits in Norman for us and kind of say, hey, would you be willing to work with churches in Norman? And if so, here are some guidelines we'd like for you to follow. And then 405 comes back to us and said, hey, here's your list of organizations that, are, that really want help. They want, want you to volunteer. And how it's easy for us is you just go to the, our website, Click on a couple of buttons, click on maybe the, the area, of, I think there were like 12 or 15 different areas that you could volunteer in. Like if you're into, I wanna work with the homeless, you can do that. I wanna work with um, single moms, you can do that. I wanna work with, I wanna do mentoring for kids uh, that, are a little, that are a little bit older. Any of those things are in this list. And so you just go to our website, click on that, and then these organizations pop up that do that kind of work and you go directly to them to sign up and to start volunteering and to build that relationship. Now, that hasn't, we haven't launched that yet. That's, that's starting in October because there's a training happening. Let me get the, the time right on this. September 30th, that's a Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m. Now, to go through the 405 Center, because they're handling all, handling all this, they want to train you. They want to train us to be able to serve these organizations because they are promising these organizations something. So they want to train us when we go serve in these organizations. That doesn't mean you can't serve on your own, but if you want to go through the 405 Center, you need to be trained. We'll probably do this training a couple of times a year, but they also do training year-round, I think once a week, at their facility in Oklahoma City. So if you can't be here September 30th, 2 to 4, um, 
You won't be able to serve through 405 until you get trained, but you can always go up there on your own or probably wait, probably the spring, early next year will be the next time we do this training. Um, there's a computer open in the back if you want to sign up, just kind of for, hey, I'm interested, I want to come to the training, you'll get followed up with. Like I said, that's like four weeks away now. Um, so save the date and, and, and let us know in the next couple weeks if you want to sign up for that. Okay, I want to close with this. Back to the, the text here. Another part in Matthew, Jesus is commissioning his people. Okay, he says, he, started, he says, um, all authority has been given to me. This is a different text, but um, sorry, I, I went off script here. Um, it's a different text. So um, Matthew 28 says, all authority has been given to me. So he's got the authority and he's giving that to us. And then he says, I will be with you always to the end of the age after he tells us to go make disciples. Okay. This is, this, this is what we've been given. This is the task we've been given. But we've been loved by God first so that we can love others. And I pray that we would ask the Holy Spirit to help us to fulfill this task. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, pray that you would help us live this out. Um, this is hard to be a sent people and live like a sent people, to live like aliens and sojourners in a place that um, oftentimes is, is difficult and doesn't agree with us and pushes on us from all sides. We need help. But I pray we can go back to the middle part of this prayer when you're talking about how we are your possession, that nothing can snatch us out of your hand. We are yours, we are loved, and nothing can separate, from, separate us from that love. I pray that that promise, that truth would move us and drive us to be and live as a people who are sent, to love others, that the world may see your glory. So help us with that. We need help. We need your spirit to help us do that as individuals and as a body named Providence Road. Help us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So in the same time period where Jesus prayed this prayer, he also took um, communion with his disciples, the Lord's Supper for the last time. He broke bread with them, and he took bread, and he says, this, body rep this bread represents my body broken for you. Continue to do this and perform this until I return. And he took a cup, which represents his blood shed for those who are in Christ for past, present, and future sins. It's the covering that unites us to Jesus. And this is, this is, this is hard. This, this challenge is heavy. And I realize that. But here's the interesting thing when you think back through the scriptures. Paul, murderer of Christians. Peter, scared little chicken. Right? Like, turned his back on the Lord. James and John, Prideful guys who were always trying to jockey for position in the kingdom. David, adulterer. Moses, murderer. Jonah, self-righteous bigot to other people group. I mean, over and over and over, God uses broken and messed up people to accomplish his task. That's the plan all along. So it's okay not to be okay. 
It's okay not to be perfect at this. I am not. I need a lot of help. And it has been a very convicting week for me as I've prepared this. But like, my, my, we're all trying to walk in this easier. And as my, now he's almost three years old, but when he was first learning to walk, I wasn't frustrated. I didn't get anger with him when he fell down when he was trying to walk. I celebrated those first steps. I, I knew he needed to walk to be a functioning adult. Okay, he, he needs to walk. Like I, I wanted that. Just like God wants us to be sent and live as sent. But he's patient with us. He's a good father who is patient with us and wants to help us as we learn to walk in this area. So when you come, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you come and take communion, you should come with confidence and remember the love of God um, that he has for you. Because he loves you if you are in Christ. He loves you. Don't forget about that. He loves you when you fail at being sent. He still loves you and nothing can separate um, you from his love. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, this is a really big deal. This idea of Jesus coming to save sinners, it's a huge deal. And it's something I pray that you would wrestle with, that you would struggle with, that you would question, that you would ask questions, okay? It's worth that. It's worth your time wrestling with. If you're here today and, and you believe and you feel the Lord doing something inside of you and you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, perfect, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death and rose three days later to take away the wrath of God on sinners. If you believe that and have faith and want to follow him as your Lord and Savior, please come and take communion, maybe for the first time today. We want you to do that. But if you're here and you're still wrestling, which I encourage you to do, uh, Please just stay where you're seated. This is something just for the family, just for those who are in Christ. But if that's you, please talk to somebody. Please find me. Let's go grab coffee or go grab something to eat or I can find someone to help you work through those things because this is something to be processed. It's worth it. No matter how what questions you have, no matter who you are, no matter how maybe bad you think you are. I just listed the, the, the names of the people whose God, God has used to change the world. You're not too bad. So when you're ready, Think about those things, wrestle with those things. If you're a follower of Jesus, come with confidence knowing that God loves you.